Hey everyone, and welcome to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast. I'm Grace. And I'm Amelia. We're your hosts, both full-time real estate investors on a mission to empower women through real estate investing so they can live out their wildest dreams. Whether you're just dipping your toes into the real estate waters or you're a seasoned pro looking to scale, you're in the right place. We'll be your real estate besties as we talk about our experiences, insights, the nitty-gritty details of our day-to-day lives, and of course, have some belly laughs. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Wire Podcast. Today, we have on Jamie Banks, and we're going to talk all about midterm rentals, which we haven't talked about in a while, so we're super excited for this. And Jamie specifically focuses on midterm rental insurance claims, and she's built a whole business around this from originally co-hosting to tenant placement, etc. And Jamie lives in Northern Virginia. She invests in Philly, New Orleans, and Richmond, Virginia. She's surprisingly been investing for less than a year, which is just mind-blowing. And at this point, she owns three doors, manages eight doors, although she used to manage 30, and she does tenant placement for 96 doors. So she has got her plate full. Jamie talks about finding arbitrage units, building a team, how to charge more for insurance clients with the midterm rental strategy, and how she utilizes a network of MTR investors to place more tenants with more contracts. Uh, My entire brain was blown this whole episode. I literally took notes as we were doing this episode. I saw Um, you writing. (laughs) I know. I literally got out my pen and my little notepad and I was like, I have to ask her about this, blah, 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 blah. So please listen to the whole thing. actually I don't know how but it gets better and better and better up until the very very end yeah like listen to the last second but there's a couple things because we moved very quickly and this is kind of a niche midterm rental strategy so a couple things that we want to define ahead of time so one thing Jamie does is tenant placement which means she is at the very top of the funnel for connecting tenants with homeowners. So she works very closely with what we call housing specialists. And the housing specialists are who you think of when you think of ALE solutions. They're those people that are working directly with insurance companies to find housing for people when they become displaced. Another thing we wanted to define is OTA. I didn't know this. means online travel agency. Think of Verbo, Airbnb, Expedia, all that good stuff. So if you hear OTA, it's just a place where people can book uh, your rental. So we're so excited for this episode. We hope you like it. Definitely go and give Jamie a follow and check out her business on Instagram. And let's get into it. You know we're all about women supporting women over here at WIRE, which is why we're so excited to showcase the Level Up Your Listing Summit happening March 11th through 13th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Join hundreds of other badass ladies for the most anticipated women's short-term rental summit of the year. This summit is a transformative three-day experience designed to equip you with the latest insights, strategies, and tools to revolutionize your STR listing game. Learn from industry experts and top hospitality brands, connect with over 300 STR hosts and real estate investors, and have a blast while becoming a super host. And if you can't make it in person, there's even options to join virtually from the comfort of your home. Head over to womeninvestinrealestate.com slash level up or click the link in the show notes to secure your spot. Use the code WIRE for 10% off your ticket today. All right. Welcome, Jamie, to the Wire podcast. We are so excited to have you today. Everybody's heard all about you in our intro. So why don't you get us started with telling us how you even got interested in real estate investing or what inspired you to take action and get started? 
Sure. So I've always been someone who loved a good HGTV binge and thought, oh, I'd love to flip one day or, oh, I'd love to do this and that. And really just didn't think it was attainable at first, but read 30 Days Stay, you know, shout out to the, the authors. And it was broken down where I was like, this is this is easy. I can do this. And so I'm someone who's great at following directions. And so I went back to step one. I think step one was, you know, choose a market. Step two was find a realtor and basically went through the steps. And at the end of it, I was under contract. And then from there, I've just continued to take action ever since. I love it. I was also an HGTV binger and I was like, I can do that. Like I can make a house pretty. I can flip a property. And then I was like, wait, I hate flipping. I just want to own rental properties and make passive income every month. Yeah. I've only bought turnkey. So, but I like the staging aspect of it. I wish, I guess that's what you get with MTR. Was MTR like your first exposure to real estate? So you didn't really ever like make the decision to do MTR. It was just like the first thing you heard and latched onto. Yeah, so I definitely had been looking. I had some money saved up that we, me and my husband had been like running the numbers. Well, more so me for the long-term rentals, obviously. I bought my first property was in 2023. And so a long-term didn't pencil out. I had looked into short-term, but at the time I was working full-time and the numbers didn't pencil out with a manager and I knew I didn't have capacity to manage myself. So I really was just kind of like sitting, like I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then when I heard about the medium-term rental strategy, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And so yeah, I jumped in. All of my units right now are currently uh, medium term, including my house. I, I house hack. And Ooh. just to make sure everybody knows, medium term rental slash midterm rental is typically a 30 to 90 day stay that's furnished. So jumping right in, you were like, okay, midterm rentals. And so where did you buy your first property at? Was it your house hack that you're living in now or was it purely an investment? So no, so my house that I I've owned this since um, 2020. I'll kind of tell you my story. So went through, chose three markets, talked to realtors in each market, and was like, whichever one that you, whoever finds me a deal first is where I'll buy. That's how I ended up with my first properties in Philadelphia. And it was a great MTR market. Still is. There's, um, you know, hospitals, corporations. I, I used to track migration for my full-time job. And a lot of New Yorkers were migrating to Philadelphia. One thing New Yorkers love is New York. And so they don't want to get away from it. And so Philly <laughs> is fairly close, but also, you know, much cheaper than, and but has more space than what they're used to. And so, yeah, jumped right in to find the first one in Philadelphia. After I finished furnishing it, I started kind of basically door knocking downtown to find an apartment building that would let me arbitrage. So I got an arbitrage a few days later. Then I came home from furnishing. We lived in Philadelphia for about a month and turned my house into a MTR. We rent one of our bedrooms to travel medical professionals. You said days after? Oh yeah, days. I was <laughs> she moves fast. <laughs> She's quick. She's quick so on her feet. So basically I was like impatient with like the contractors who I told them what day I was closing. This is like my first time with the contractor. I'm like, what do you mean? I have to wait till Monday. It's Wednesday. Like I can't wait till then. And we bought it as a second home, so legally had to live in it two weeks. And so we I was like, Oh, I'm here in Philly. I knew from being in commercial real estate that Philly in January, no one wants to move there. Now, you guys are, you know, well, Chris, you are in colder markets. And so, you know, it's harder to rent. And so I went in, like, knew the lingo a bit and said, you know, I know you're, and I went and used my uh, commercial resources to see the properties that had the highest vacancy at the time. And so I went in, I said, hey, I'll sign, you know, a lease, you know, right here, right now. I said I would sign a two-year lease for six months free. They obviously didn't buy that, but I did get four months 
free and was able to negotiate. I paid a bit of a premium, but I got four months free. And then it was better furnishing two at the same time because then I can just get one big thing of towels and separate them. And so, yeah, I was furnishing two properties at the same time and working full time, which was a lot. Okay. I love this. I have never heard somebody say that. What a genius way to do it. Go straight to the vacancy, throw out a huge ask. They come back at over half of what you asked for. And then now you've already got two MTR units off the bat. That's crazy. So for someone that's just getting started, since you scaled pretty rapidly, how were you funding the purchases for like the furniture? Was it just savings or were you doing credit card hacking? How did you work that? I would say savings and credit card hacking. So again, I bought our property as a second home. And so a second home, I'm not a lender, so I don't know all the qualifications, but I know you have to live in it. As our lender said 14 days and it had to be maybe 65 miles from our current residence. And so because of that, we only had to put 10% down. Um, The purchase price ended up paying about 116 for it. And so, you know, which wasn't that much. And so I had budgeted about think 10 to 15 a thousand for furniture i did actually end up using credit card hacking just because i love to travel and learn to to kind of travel hack but i did and i always uh, recommend still having that money liquid somewhere just so you know it it doesn't come time for the interest in your hit with 20 plus percent interest on 15 20 plus thousand dollars and so what i did is and what i've done is just incorporated that monthly like if it, I paid $10,000, I would, you know, amortize, let's say 10 months and do $1,000 kind of per month that I was paying back just so I can kind of control my cash flow a bit. But I still wanted to have reserves, especially um, a furnished too, and then turned our guest bedroom into an MTR kind of all within one month. And so it was definitely oh a lot gosh. of furnishings, but great points and was able to fly out to the MTR summit for free. Okay, so you did your own MTRs, and we know that you manage MTRs for other people. So walk us through getting to that. Really, when I I think got back home, I had these two MTRs, and I bought my first one January 18th, the arbitrage. I think I signed it on the 22nd, and on the 31st of January, Philly changed their laws where basically a short-term rental, you had to go through all this licensure and all of this, and so basically all, or I'd say at least 50% of short-term rentals that were operating became medium-term rentals overnight. And my home is a West Philly townhome. Most people know things about West Philly from, I guess, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but (laughs) West Philly, it's a classy neighborhood. You know, I love the location, but it's not, you know, in the, you know, best part of Philly where someone has a short-term rental that has an Instagram wall. And so I realized that on Airbnb, on Furnish Finder, right, like a travel medical professional or a student or whoever that guest is, they're seeing my property and they're seeing properties that might be this price the same as mine because they're bought in, you know, 2020 at lower interest rates. And so I was like, just listing on Furnish Finder and Airbnb is not going to be enough. And so I quickly started listening to Jesse Vasquez and started listening to some people who I consider mentors in this space and was like, I need more inventory because I want to be able to go to those companies and provide solutions for them. And I was like, okay, well, how do I get more properties buy. At that point, I was putting my jobs. I can't just buy that quick. Arbitrage, not actually a huge fan of arbitrage. And so I was like, oh, I can manage. And so from there, that's how like, my company was built with managing. And then also because I had experience in asset management and managed right before I quit, it was 14,400 units. So I was like, what's a few MTR units? And so <laughs> from there, started managing and then also rolled out the tenant placement services a little bit later. 
okay, you're blowing my mind. I'm not going to lie. I never would have thought about it of like, because that makes total sense. You need the inventory to get the contracts with the people so they know you're their go-to. Because if you only have two units, they're going to stop asking you. And then you went and you said, hey, all these other investors, let me be your tenant placement specialist. That is so genius. How did that work with finding investors and pricing that? So I actually heard a Landlord Diaries episode where someone was doing something similar and he charged, I think, 20%. And I was like, oh, I'll charge 20% too. So that's how um, I came up with the monthly rent. And okay. so that's how I actually came up with my pricing. And then from there, I just started talking to other MTR operators who were like within the markets that I operate in. Right now, we're doing tenant placement from um, New York, basically as in as south as like Richmond, Virginia. And also I just closed on a property in New Orleans. So we're building operations there. And so basically I went to, I think one, it was coming with leads. I started reaching out like, hey, I need more investors to work with in Philadelphia, here, there, because after I got my first insurance contract, and I stayed in touch with that specialist. She's like, hey, Jamie, do you have something else in Philly? Well, my it's funny, my arbitrage property was actually rented the whole time. The nurse moved in and she kept extending. And like, girl, if you want to keep living there, you know, go ahead. And so basically I had two properties rented. And so as I was getting more leads in Philly, I realized, oh, in order to, you know, keep scaling, I need to go to investors. And so when for me, I went to investors with leads and I would go like using Facebook group. I'm very active in bigger pockets. And so I would just documenting my journey and constantly talking to other investors. I've really built that up. I'm also really involved with my local called Grid. It's a, a meetup um, investor, a meetup, but it's a real estate investors community that I love that I've been going basically for a year now. I try to go to um, at least one meetup a month. And so I started telling them what I was doing. And so it's funny enough, other than my house hack, I don't manage any properties in the DC area, but I have about 50 placement properties there just from referrals, networks, working and you know the specialists that I work with or you know that the company owners I've worked with insurance companies you know they're not asking do you you know do you own it do you arbitrage it that's really you know not their concern as long as they know that joy doing business with me that know that you know my team is quick efficient with insurance contracts time is of the essence we try to place people within three to five days like we had a one really quickly before Christmas we really wanted to get them in to you know not spend Christmas in a motel and so I just think have having consistent results. I built a team when I just had my properties. And I, but I think that's for me has helped because I was able to train them when I wasn't as busy. So that now most of the properties I'm tenant placement for, they know much better than me. And so I think that's helped as, as well. Okay. So for anyone listening, who's like, what is tenant placement? Can you explain that? But also how are you, how do you get paid for that? If you don't mind me asking, because I think people are also interested in that. Sure. So what happens is I'll just kind of like run through the life cycle. So Amelia, you come to me and you say, hey, I have this property, you know, in this location, you fill out our form um, that uploads to our CRM and you tell me the minimum price that you need, you know, to make your to make your numbers work. I'm very upfront. You know, we charge 20 percent of the monthly rent as a one time fee in certain markets and in certain where we're doing different contracts. Sometimes that's a bit you know, negotiable. But what we'll do is just charge as a one time fee when that deal is close. So really to upload your property into our network is 100% free. Then kind of on the back end, what happens is we're sending constant communication to our specialists. You know, we're calling, we're emailing, you know, we're just staying in contact. As soon as we're closing one, 
you know, deal or housing placement. We're calling them instead of just closing out via email and getting a check. We're saying it was great working with you. I have a property available tomorrow that's, you know, here, here, and here. Do you have a need? And they might. And sometimes we've gotten them that way. And so really with tenant placement, it's utilizing my network and that I've already built. And I have a few relocation specialists and companies that I'm, you know, talking to at least on a weekly basis. And so I'm utilizing that network to find a tenant and then matching them to properties that I've already submitted their information to our database. Wow. And so when you say 20%, is that the first month's rent? Or if it's a three-month contract, you get 20% of the whole contract? So I'm just getting first month's rent. I've gotten some feedback that people said I might need to change that. So TBD on how that goes, because really I'm realizing I'm able to secure much higher than what that investor would get. So I remember working with an investor. I wish all of these were this great. She launched, I think it was on a Thursday or Friday. By that Tuesday, we had a claim and they moved in that Saturday. And this one was in Philly and she got four times long-term rent. And so, you know, and I really... I think because I've built relationships, I'm a bit more comfortable asking that relocation specialist, okay, what's your budget? And negotiating versus just, you know, lowballing myself. Because a lot of times their budget's a lot higher than what we're going to think. Yeah, this is incredible. Is a relocation specialist for someone listening that might know, are these mostly insurance claims then? Yeah. So what happens is all state, if someone, if Bob, you know, his family's home catches on fire and they call all state, all state calls their go-to relocation company. So ALE Solutions is the largest. It's what most people know. There's also smaller ones, but so relocation specialists, that's basically going to be ALE Solutions. And so their job is to partner with, you know, people like us who are MTR hosts and then finding that inventory. They look for both furnished and unfurnished inventory. Do you feel like it took you a lot of time and effort to make those relationships with the relocation specialists? Yes, yes. I've yeah. been calling since January. It didn't start really picking up until September. And part of that was when I just had a few properties and before I really built placement and I geared things up on my management side, me not realizing the power in numbers. And then for me, it's like, I know a lot of people kind of cast their net wide. I like to go after kind of one target in each market that I'm in. And then we also started kind of pivoting seasonally as well and so like for instance right now is accounting is tax season and so like right now we're reaching out to accounting firms the more local ones who might be bringing in temporary interns temporary workers and it, it needs some place to stay and so sometimes it's not even securing contracts but we haven't gotten a long-term contract yet with the corporation we have gotten a few with insurance companies but if you can be on a list that is then going to those corporate travelers that's a great way to start those relationships, but it's definitely, it takes time. And so when it comes to signing the lease, the housing people are signing directly with the owner, but then you have a separate agreement that says, Hey, when I lined this up, I get 20%. How does that work? So basically, as soon as we have a viable lead, I have like a agreement that I had a lawyer draft up. That's basically like an interim um, kind of consulting agreement. That's just like, I have the right to negotiate on your behalf, you know, blah, 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 legal language. But that's how, you know, I'm guaranteeing that I'm getting, you know, like my, my back end costs. Usually the owners are so happy, you know, we're all happy and, you know, everyone, you know, and I'm only working with people that I, that I've trusted, you know, and I've kind of vetted ahead of time. But yeah, the, the company, sometimes it's the company, sometimes Sometimes it's the actual like tenant who's signing the lease, but we're always, you know, getting a company check or a ACH. If I manage it or own it, it's obviously going to me. But when I'm doing tenant placement, it's going directly to the owner of that property. 
And have you ever had any housing specialists say, hey, the landlord you hooked us up with, we have an issue with the property or the landlord? No. And, you know, knock on wood, let's hope that doesn't happen. But that's part of me vetting them is I want to know that you're the same kind of landlord that I am, right? Or better. I mean, I think I'm a great landlord, but I just want to make sure that hospitality is, you know, really in your nature. And so, you know, I've seen people who, you know, go to MTR because they want to get four or five times market rent. The money hungry people aren't the ones that I want to work with. It's the ones who are saying, hey, I work with investors who house hack who are like, hey, Jamie, every year I'm a house hack and I'm going to leak buy a new one. And then I want to submit those into your database. Those are the investors I want to work with. And then we are having conversations where I'm like, hey, when they move in, I always have a gift, right? They just lost their home. They're moving into a new place. And I'm giving them tips, you know, kind of free consulting based on what I do to really coach them along. And and I'm also staying in contact. I think for me, especially now, as I grow, I'm really trying to go deep with the investors I'm already working with instead of completely, you know, finding one investor with one new property. Not that I don't welcome new investors. Investors, but I think it's really important to have people who really are in the long-term MTR game and who aren't just in it and aren't going to be, you know, bad landlords. I have a question about the 96 doors that you do tenant placement for. Are the owners of those units also trying to find tenants while you are too? And it's just like whoever finds it first, great. And then are they usually self-managing those? Then once the tenant is placed, they carry on with managing it? Yeah, so primarily of them, because I'll answer the second part first, are self-managers. Because I'm honest with people, when they try to get me to manage, I prefer to work with investors who have multiple properties. Because I'm like, you can manage yourself. Like one MTR, you can manage yourself. Like I was managing three and was working 60, 70 hours a week. And so I'm like, I think tenant placement is going to be more so your best bet. And I also offer consulting to kind of walk them through and give them best practices. But yes, I tell them like list on Airbnb, list on Furnish Finder, list on, you know, all the sites you need to don't do anything differently. But if we happen to have a request that matches your property, that's when we'll reach out. And so part of them uploading their property to our database is giving us some type of OTA link so that when we have a lead, my team can go in and check Airbnb usually, or, you know, or Verbo, like one of those OTAs that have that has like real time availability, just so they know if that property has been booked or not. So what's the name of this company if anyone's like interested in looking you up? I know we normally talk about that at the end of the episode, but for people that are really curious, where can they find that like information? So we're called Radiate Real Estate. I'm actually wearing my my Radiate shirt today. Look at Um, you. But um, yes, yeah, so we're Radiate Real Estate. Someone stole RadiateRealEstate.com, so don't go there. It's like RadiateRE.com. You know, one day I'll I'll come for them. But until now, <laughs> you're gonna have to buy them out. Okay, we have a few more questions about MTR, and then I also want to know more about your team that you alluded to earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the average cash flow, average length of contract, average price point that you're working with? Average cash flow across the properties that like I manage that I own and then also I'm gonna say that I manage and kind of like what my threshold is is a thousand dollars. My first property, it's the one I bought my West Philly town home. I'm actually cash flowing currently twenty two hundred dollars. Um, Whoa, girl, uh, you're rich. Wow. 
I know. I'm like, this girl's <laughs> making it. I love it. Well, I do. It's like I have a large team, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about in in a okay. minute. But with that one, like my PITI is 885. So between utilities and reserves, I'm cash flowing. And my the rent there is ALEs there for six months. It's $4,500. So definitely great terms. But I'd say the average with insurance is four to six months. But there's 90% of the time they're going to extend. And I'd say the price point is between five and nine thousand dollars. However, I do have some properties like we're working on one now. We just submitted for thirteen thousand nine hundred and ninety-seven. So per month. Per month. Um, this is a huge property. It's in. It's in. At Cookie, Maryland, it's basically in PG County, which is outside of DC. So beautiful property on acres, about six bedrooms. And so that's actually like a bit less than I do some research and like what we think like the market will support. So we'll see, but I'd say- Who's renting um, that? Um, an insurance company. So someone's home burnt down, their home was similar. And so they want, you know, a similar accommodation. And so like this home is over 7,000 square feet. Man, I can't afford to live there, but you know, the people have a similar home. And so, you know, the insurance company reached out and they want something that large. And okay, another question. What do you say to a company who reaches out through Furnished Finder? And so they see your Furnished Finder price, but you want to get more of that insurance company price. Because I've had this happen to me twice now. And I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could negotiate with them, but I don't feel like I can because the price is already out there. You ask questions, right? Because as a landlord, we can price based on the risk. So like we had one we were talking to and they had reptiles, bunnies. That's all risky to me because I don't know anything about that, right? (laughs) Or multiple kids. Kids scare me sometimes as much as pets in terms of what they might do to us, especially they're usually suffering anxiety and suffering things because they just lost their home. And so even three dogs where I can't call a prior landlord, right? Because they were homeowners. So that's increased risk to me. And so as I start asking questions, that's how I'm like, okay, well, for this many months, I, you know, will charge this price. I will say that how I've kind of secured those higher ones is now I don't really have a low furnished finder price. I think my lowest prices are probably on Airbnb because now my strategy is to get insurance claims. Like for instance, the one I was telling you about with the rents $4,500, that one was vacant about three weeks. And I was totally okay with that because you know, we see what, what happened kind of at the end of that three weeks. And so I think being okay or deciding if you're okay with that vacancy, because again, with insurance, they're not asking to book a month from now, they're asking to book and see the property tomorrow. And so I think for me, being fast too, and being able to accommodate them, sometimes they're not even looking, you know, saying at that furnished under price. But I will say like, for me, I don't go too much above it because having that and starting that relationship is more important than getting, you know, a thousand dollars more like in that instance and I think for me that's how I've really built those relationships because if I say it's you know if you're coming to me on furnished finder and especially for a nine month like I got a, a nine nine month be placed right before Christmas what's on furnished finder I'm okay with that price their home burnt yeah. down we we're trying to get them in fast and also their home burnt down it's going to take more than nine months 
Yeah. So I want to talk about the example where you said it was open for three weeks because people I think don't maybe don't understand there's even different strategies within MTR, which I think they're picking up on here. Grace and I talk a ton about traveling nurses because that's kind of who we target. And Mm -hmm. the price is a little bit lower. There's insurance claims, there's corporate housing. So for the West Philadelphia $4,500 one, because you're targeting insurance claims, it's at around, you know, $4,500. What would it have been if it would have been like a tip? typical travel nurse on Furnish Finder. What's kind of that budget look like? So people can have perspective. Mm -hmm. So on that same property, and it's like my first ever tenant, it was, well, actually, fun fact, my first move-in was actually a failed move-in. And so that booking got canceled, but it was between $1,800 and $2,500 is what I can get like on the OTAs. And so when I realized the difference, and I've, especially now that I've really built a network, especially in Philadelphia and other areas where I have over five units. I'm at the point where if they're asking me for, you know, inventory, I can send them at least three options. And so then instead of going to three landlords, they're going to me. And so with that one, like I knew we could get it rented. I always say like budget for three months of vacancy, like at least. Like I just bought a property, we closed on the 22nd and I'm like, I'm worried about it now, but during Christmas, I was like, ah, I budgeted, we budgeted three months vacancy. It's in New Orleans too. So the, the climate, it's still, it's nice. It's not like, you know, it's not going to get much colder. And so I think budgeting three months is great because then you're able to get those, you know, those quick, you know, kind of reservations. But I, I think it, but it also depends on like, if you're planning to live off cash flow and you just need someone in there, that's going to look a lot different than for me. Again, I'm budgeting three months and then my PITI is $900. So, you know, with that and having like, you know, lower kind of price point properties, I know that another area of my business can pull in that 900 if needed. But then I get these lucrative bookings where I'm like, oh, this property is paying for, you know, for a lot and covering other properties. I never oh. considered having vacancy, more vacancy to get the higher contracts. That's brilliant. Well, because you have to look at it. It's like, what is your, you know, it's NOI in real estate. And so usually your NOI is going to be the same, if not more, when you when you wait because okay what's three weeks right like I'm, I don't have much utilities I'm still paying my mortgage but I'm getting almost double well really double and then you know you get cleaning fees and admin fees and there's other fees that you can charge kind of from those insurance companies as well and so when I look at one the liability to me there's insurance companies on the lease not Bob um no no offense to Bob but I rather have you know, a company versus you know just a regular homeowner and so I look at it as like over time, how am I going to make the most money? And then also being available to them is always great and helps build my business in other ways. I really love this because Grace and I have touched on this recently more so in podcast episodes that it's so important to have a really good financial background and really understand budgeting and everything that goes into that. Because if you don't even have like a personal budget or understand that, how can you manage a budget on 10, 15, 20 rental properties? Like you've got to start, I think, at the basics and then work from there. Yes, exactly. And then I'm actually right now I'm I'm venturing into multifamily. So that's actually my background was 
the commercial real estate I was in was multifamily. And so I'm venturing into multifamily and to MTR. So marrying, you know, those two strategies. And so I think within that too, I'm realizing you know, there's going to be a lot more vacancy than there is with a typical long-term tenant. But now there's, again, the seasonality and everything. And I think there's seasonality in medium-term rentals, but I've really tried to capture how can I be seasonal as well? So no one to go after companies who have interns, you know, no one to again, go after companies who, you know, are bringing in new hires who have, I didn't talk about, I was actually a corporate traveler, both as an intern. And when I was full-time, I lived in a different city every seven months. And so I would go on unfurnished accommodations. I had friends who would go with furnished accommodations. Our travel arrangements were different where we were getting a stipend. And so even realizing, like for me, the amount that I paid for my housing, because I was getting a stipend, was a lot more than what I'd pay because I'm, you know, I'm not really paying for it. My company is. And so realizing there are those travelers as well who are still medium term rental travelers. And so there's so many different, you know, niches within medium term rentals. And so I really go after one specifically for each property, I actually create a property plan where I have my ideal guests for each property. And being ultra, you know, niched and like going after that has really also helped. And that's usually who I get, you know, in those different properties outside of the insurance relocations. This is so good. Another question about your portfolio. What is the smallest area population wise that you invest in? And I have a follow on question to that because it sounds like you're in a lot of big cities. Yeah, so I would say New Orleans is the smallest because Philadelphia is the seventh largest city in the U.S. So then <laughs> the area I'm in, Reston, Virginia, it's it's smaller, but it's right outside of D.C. So like I'm in D.C. today, I'm about 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So I would say New Orleans is probably the smallest. The reason I ask is because I'm in eastern Iowa, where there's probably within an hour drive three to 400,000 people. So like really not. And then like three to four hours until you hit a city of a million. So like it's pretty sparsely populated. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I've had trouble keeping lead volume. So I haven't pursued these types of contract as much because I don't feel like the volume is there. What would you say to somebody who's struggling in a smaller market? Go to Indeed, type in the city and state, find out what companies are there. And this is going to take some time. And when you fill things up, you can get VAs to do it. But go through and then go to each company's website and find their benefits and look for companies that have relocation benefits. Because no matter what the role is, that's how you know that company relocates their employees. And you'll be so surprised. Like, for instance, Walmart is headquartered in um, Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah, in Bentonville, (laughs) Arkansas. Exactly. And then there's... I remember I got an offer from a company who was in, I don't even, I don't even remember. It was, it was a small town in Nebraska and it was like, you don't really think of, oh, people are moving here. But if there's a company there, no matter what kind of company, they, even there's like engineers, there's construction, specialized construction workers. And so I feel like even a small market sometimes can be better because there's limited options, right? In Philadelphia, I'm competing with the Hilton's, the embassy. Well, I think they're winning, but you know. <laughs> You're not even a blip on their radar. Yeah. You're yeah. competing oh, with them. Funny. They're not competing with exactly. you though. Like, I'm knocking on the door and they're just like, you know, shoot, peasant, right? They're not paying me no 
mind. But, you know, I have a lot of competition, both, you know, Airbnbs and these large hotels and other, you know, buildings who are doing kind of the same thing. And so find what's in your market. Also, go to the local Chamber of Commerce, the website, or you can go in person if you're there and tell them what you're doing and tell them what you need. And I promise you they'll connect you with someone. So I have a quick story. I had some properties in Dover, Delaware. I was going to manage for my grandfather. And so we went to the Chamber of Commerce, connected with them locally, and were able to find out that the hospital accepted basically 500 new residents and started this whole new residency program. And they were staying in the Red Roof Inn. Oh, they had no house. And so I'm like, cha-ching. Well, <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. As long as I can give something better than the Red Roof Inn, Red Roof Inn, which, you know, I promise I can, this is how I can, you know, provide a solution to them. And so, like, really get getting plugged into that market helps because you'll find out about, you know, different things. And sometimes it's not going to be a long-term contract. It might just be, hey, every year the interns are going to come in for this company and you have a five-bedroom and all the interns can can stay there. Because I've been an intern who was housed by the, at the corporation I was interning for. And so, you know, being in a small market, you know, you're going to have to be proactive, but there's definitely ways to secure these higher price bookings. Grace, you need to get that Collins contract. I was just thinking, Jamie, I'm like, I'm reignited to get this huge company in Cedar Rapids that I used to work for and I interned for and I travel interned for. And I have been so close last couple of years, but they have a giant company who takes their contract. But man, I'm going to get it this year. I'm manifesting it. Okay. Or even... You can ask to be on their list to give yes. to interns because, you know, that's also a way to yeah. just get in front of them. I'm going to have to hire you to consult to help me get this contract because it could be huge. But, okay, one final MTR question. You mentioned fees for insurance claims and corporate claims. Tell us a little bit about that. What's my cleaning fee? One, I always price it obviously higher than whatever my cleaner is going to charge. And then usually with insurance, I end up charging, you know, a bit double. One, because someone is going to be in there usually and it's going to extend. And so I personally, for bookings that are under three months, don't require a clean. But that's another thing that I take into account is how many cleans that we'll need. I don't want to go a year or nine months without seeing my property, especially people live in different ways. And I Waller. think, yeah. <laughs> and being with the insurance, you really, it's, it's a lot different because you're not doing the typical screening with the renter where you're calling the private landlord and say, did they fuck up the place, right? Because if they fucked up their place, well, it's burnt down now. So no one knows, right? So, <laughs> right, there's no evidence <laughs> left behind. Right, exactly. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm super clean, I'm super clean. And so making sure that all of that is factored into that cleaning field I'll also just charge like an admin fee because again, this takes time and I kind of, I know we'll talk about my team in a bit, but you know, I have to pay my team. Like you have to compensate for your time and even doing leasing takes time. And so we charge typically, but depending on the property, between $250 and $500 as a admin fee. And to be completely honest, we just pocket it. And so just knowing admin fees are typical. And so when I learned that, I'm like, well, I got to be a typical girl. So I'm charging my admin <laughs> fees too. So you get pushback on that? No, never. But that's the wow. thing is like, you don't know what you don't know. Like even when I first started out with MTRs, I didn't realize that charging a cleaning fee was typical. So I wasn't charging a cleaning fee and I was just eating that cost. And then very quickly I realized, wait, that like I should be charging the tenant. And when I started implementing that, not one person has since said anything about it because it's just, that's common. 
Exactly. With the admin fee, it takes money to run a rental, especially from the operation side. Like I use owner res for my property management system, which isn't cheap. And we also do damage protection like through owner res to kind of give us that extra kind of guest, you know, protection in case they mess up the place. And so with that, you know, those are all fees that we are incurring. And so I think really once for me, once I realized that it was standard to charge this fee, I started charging it. And so, yeah, like you don't know what you don't know. But now that I know, yeah. I'm going to charge it. <laughs> and you can't operate a really high end rental property on a shoestring budget. I mean, you have to account for that so that you can provide a nice property for these companies. But I actually had one more question too about midterm rental specifically before we move into like the team aspect. And that was, do you see any emerging trends within the MTR space? And what do you think about them? And I have one that comes to mind, which is the unfurnished versus furnished. But is there any, what do you think about that one? And then are there any other trends that you're seeing? Well, actually, insurance companies have always like looked for this unfurnished inventory because there's sometimes where someone's home isn't ruined, like got a request for in the condo building. It wasn't livable. I, I didn't know much about it, but basically they were looking for, I think, 20 unfurnished units because all the furniture was good. And so they know, like most companies know they can get right, pay a much lower price, especially if it's a longer term lease, if they can just get something unfurnished and either use the furniture that that tenant currently has or run it and they have you know huge discounts with court and all these large furniture rental companies i think another emerging trend is people wanting the, the top price with very very low investment and so i just like to say that there is a tier and so like even with me i have a west philly townhome 4500 that's probably going to be the max that i can get right because they're you know 10 15 blocks away is philly it's like murder shoot them dead don't go there and i you know and i <laughs> A good thing about insurance is like they're from the neighborhood. And so, you know, it's not as it's a C neighborhood. I've had tribal medical professionals who never had a problem. But, I, you know, I, I just think it's important to like know your area. I think another trend, and this is a, a great trend, is people working together. And it's like whether someone reaches out and wants to work with me, whether you're just going to your local real estate meetup and talking to the furnished, you know, inventory host, you can band together and go to these companies together. Because if you can offer five properties, you're much more valuable than the one the person who can offer one property. Because think about a company, right? I used to work for a large bank and you know, they had like incoming like rotational class with 700. They don't want to cost 700 landlords they, they want one relationship or maybe two right who is going to house all of these people coming in and so working together and I, I think i forgot the quote it's like collaboration up at the top competitions at the bottom and so i'm like let's collaborate let's do things together because even just sharing a lead if someone extends here and i need to move them there because something happens it's just great to have other you know furnished rental hosts in your area in your network I love that. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, I know Grace has been biding her time very patiently to talk about building a team. So Grace, go ahead. Yeah, shoot. just you tell us what have you been building and who's on your team? My team is all VAs. So I have two full-time VAs. Based out of? The Philippines. One is more my executive assistant and she runs my life. And then um, the other one is actually her husband who does like the back end. He actually does more so asset management because I outsourced all of my co-hosting to the day-to-day 
tenant communication to a team. I'm in the Philippines, basically, because I love entrepreneurs, you know, like us. He was a VA for Airbnb, started his own company, and now he has 10 to 20 VAs work under him. And so I work with them because they give me 24-hour coverage. And so I was like, I was tired of getting those 2 a.m. calls. My last straw was someone like reported us to Airbnb because her car broke because the garage was too low. And so I'm sitting here, but I'm like, how could I tell you that? Anyway, she had a Land Rover with like a ski thing on top. And I'm just like, I can't do this. I like Why is it my responsibility that you drove your car into a garage? I'm like, couldn't you see? Like, don't you see that like, oh, that <laughs> I guess not, right? <laughs> and so I was like, that's my last straw, you know. I have other priorities and even my team, I didn't want them stressed out and constantly checking because like they're doing a lot of my like day-to-day -day work. And so I also in each market, so I'm in six markets between tenant placement and actually managing. In each market, we have you know, a handyman, a cleaner, and my favorite person on the team is my quality control manager, who is the quality control manager slash intern and I, I, I prefer to work with students and so I'll go to the university or reach out to them in some way and like offer a part-time internship to a student who's interested in real estate and so then you know I'm getting say like this but cheaper labor than you know working with someone who needs to support a household and then they're you know available kind of at odd times and then also I'm giving them an opportunity to to learn furniture so to learn real estate and so even the property obviously not the property that I own but even properties that are kind of close by I'm you know, using those quality control managers to do everything from to take inventory, to take pictures with the insurance relocation claims. Everyone that I've worked on, um, that family has wanted to see the home prior to committing. And so that quality control manager is the one going in, showing them the home. They actually all wear the Radiate shirts, you know, to, and to kind of walk them through and, you know, and show them like the highlights and kind of sell the home a bit. How does that differentiate from a property manager? I mean, they're not doing lease signing, but it is kind of in a way a little bit of a PM. It's just got a fancier name. Yeah, I think it's like more so because I have a property management company, they're just kind of like my local eyes. So yeah. I think for them, they don't really do any of the administrative stuff. It's more so in we, how we have it in our property management system is they, they just kind of get an alert, kind of like a cleaner would like on Turno or a similar system like, hey, there's a showing at this time. Or, you know, we usually get or my team gets three time slots from like the, the potential guest and then, you know, we'll send those or like or the system will send them to that quality control manager they'll confirm and then get the information and I guess just to make sure that they're there and I always train them to get there at least 20 minutes before and so um basically they're I think they're, they're just doing like the on the ground stuff where like my team and then me is, is doing the paperwork and is doing um the maintenance coordination well, actually my outsource team is doing that as well so I think we're all together working to be the the property managers it's not a you know too much of a one woman show on on that part what are you using to reach out to college potential interns? So <laughs> I actually, I work part-time with a nonprofit called SEO Sponsorship for Educational Opportunity, and it helps black and brown students get into corporate jobs. And so I have a large like network of students that I've either mentored or I know or know. So most of the students I've gotten through them, if not, I'll just ask a, a local investor who lives in that, you know, was in that market, like, hey, do you, you know, know someone? And I've just kind of gotten like recommendations, you know, that way. And then there's like a lot of times you can just go on LinkedIn and I can say like, you know, that school has, and my VAs do this. 
with, like if that school has a business school or, you know, whatever school it would kind of fit under, we would just like reach out or find them on LinkedIn. And so a lot of times I'll just reach out and like, hey, you know, I'm a new company. I want to offer, you know, an internship, like a paid internship to your students. And, you know, they're all for it. Did you find someone in New Orleans? I know you were looking. Yes, I did. It was actually a wire member. Shut your mouth. Mm -hmm. Who was it? Yeah, Jessie Coleman. So she that sounds reached out. really familiar. Um, yeah, so she reached out and you know, shout out to Jessie because she's been great. And Ooh, I'm, helping Jessie. Her. <laughs> I'm, I'm helping her by bringing some of those corporate clients to her because she has a portfolio in, in New Orleans and she's going to be my on the ground person. She's coordinated vendors. All we have to do is send the payment. And so it's been great. So like shout out to the Wired community. And the community I love it. Built. Oh my gosh. You know what th we didn't even mention is that Jamie's coming to our Phoenix retreat and we're so excited. Like. If you're listening to this episode and you're like, oh my gosh, Jamie's so funny and cool, which is what I'm doing right now as we're recording, Same. I'm thinking that. I'm like, oh, we get to hang out with her in a couple months. Like these are the types of awesome people coming to our retreats. Yes, just, to so pump, just to pump us up a little bit, you know, like we get these <laughs> cool people to come. Oh, I'm pumped. Jamie, you're going to be annoyed with me. I feel like I'm going to have so many questions for you at the retreat. Just no kidding. Problem. I'll let you relax and enjoy it. But this has been so incredible. Like probably my favorite interview ever on this podcast. And it's going to go, that is going to be on the podcast. So, you know, I'm not lying. Oh my, I you also just interviewed your sister. So I, I don't oh. know if, if she's going to. Well, I talk to her every day. Love her. I honestly feel like we need to have Jamie on again because I feel like we barely scratched the surface of like the information that you have to share. I know. I know. Thank you. Well, I was like, I'm all for it. at some points I was tr struggling to keep up. I was like, okay, yep. You know, okay. Yep. Got it. I know. Me too. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like we are pretty with it. Like we're pretty smart. I'm but still like... sitting here wondering what OTA is. Not going to lie. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Online travel agency. So like that's the difference. Basically like a. Did you a, know that, Amelia? Yeah. Because like Grace isn't in the short term rental space. So like she wouldn't necessarily know what OTA oh, is. Yeah. Well, I'm about to be this summer. Let Jamie educate you. Tell her again what yeah, OTA is. Online travel. <laughs> hey, this was incredible. Yeah. Okay. So if people want to find you, where is the best place for them to get in contact with you? And this will be in the show notes too. Awesome. So Instagram, my personal is Jamie Banks Real Estate. It's or you can follow and or you can follow my business page at Radiate Real Estate underscore. Yay. And we will link your website too because you shared that with us earlier. But thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for all the information you just shared. Thank you for having me. I would really love to come back because I think there's one big thing that we didn't get to talk about was just like the MTR operations. Like there's so much in operating a unit, lockout, keys. Let's just yes. get that on the schedule after we hang up. Thank like, you, Jamie. I'm ready, ready to come back. Okay. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode with Jamie. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you loved today's episode, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out and join our community at womeninvestinrealestate.com and follow us on Instagram at wire with two eyes dot community.